0: Hey, folks, Zach Osterman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis star. He is Dustin I IU Insider, Bloomington Herald Times. It is a rainy Wednesday, Thursday, May 5th, uh, and it's the offseason. And uh, the genesis of this podcast, Dustin, is I was talking to a, a good friend of ours, Nick Bumgardner, who's covered Michigan uh, for the Detroit Free Press and the Athletic, now does a lot of NFL stuff. Uh, about a podcast he was farming out ideas for, and I suggested this to him. And then uh, I used a four letter word and I said, No, never mind, I'm going to use that, I'm going to do that podcast myself. Um, this is I, I don't know what we'll call it yet, maybe the Wayback Machine for old Rocky and Bullwinkle fans. Looking back at the 2012 13 Big Ten basketball season, um, and I kind of like the idea of every once in a while, I know. You know, Dustin, when when we do kind of retrospective stories and the one or two podcasts we've done, people enjoy them. I like the idea of doing something a little bit more offbeat. You worked for the Herald Times at that time. I worked for 24-7 Sports. We both covered that season. It was obviously intensely anticipated in Bloomington, but it was also, I think, hands down the best Big Ten basketball season I have ever seen, and I'm really looking forward to getting back into it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean – I did not know exactly where we were going to go with all of this, but I mean, just looking back um, and remembering some of those teams. I mean, like you know, the Michigan team that plays in the final um, was it, it was the fifth seed. Uh, I think, in the Big Ten tournament. And that tells you a lot about just how loaded it was. I mean, you had a really good Ohio State team. You had a really good Michigan State team. You had a, you know, s- solid, steady Wisconsin team. And some other ones down the line that that were s- some that didn't perform as well uh, as expected. But, I mean, there it was loaded. There was depth. They they ended up with uh, somebody on every seed line from one to five um, in the NCAA tournament. It was... Um, yeah, it was, it was some kind of year and it was, uh, you know, I think there was a reason why, obviously we talk a lot about how Indiana handled winning the big 10 championship, but there was a reason why they took a lot of pride in, in, in winning it outright, um, in the regular season.
0: You mentioned there, everybody, uh, you know, a number, like at least one team on the seed line one through five. Um, it's also the only season in Ken Palm's, Team wide data database, which goes dates back to the 2001-2 two season, um, in which five Big Ten teams made the top 12 in the final Ken Palm rankings. There were six in the top 20 if you include Minnesota. Um, if you go into the actual Big Ten that season, I mean it, it's it's wild how loaded it was. They put seven teams in the Big Ten tournament, or excuse me, the NCAA tournament. An eighth team, Iowa, actually lost to Baylor in the NIT finals. Um, That's a Minnesota team that has – that's Tubby Smith's Minnesota with Andre Hollins, Rodney Williams, Trevor Evacue, Austin Hollins. That's undeniably John Gross's best Illinois team. Obviously, Indiana fans will remember Indiana losing on that buzzer beater uh, at Illinois in – what was that? That was early February. Brandon Paul, Tracy Abrams – DJ Richardson, of course, the one that, that Indiana fans might remember remembering Tyler Griffey. But then you get to the top of that conference, and I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating kind of both looking back the season before, I guess, to start, and then looking at the season after. The season before, I believe, if my research is, is correct, is the only other season where the Big Ten has at least four teams in the top ten of the final Ken Palm rankings. And so there is, you know, that's Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State. And I think Indiana, Michigan State, and Ohio State in particular were very much kind of, you know, sort of of a piece coming out of that season. Obviously, Indiana is number one overall, but that's an Ohio State team that's in the final four. Um, That's a Michigan State team that's going to wind up returning – Keith Appling, Derek Nix, Brandon Dawson, Adrian Payne, Travis Trice. Like there's there's a lot of – you can see Michigan State kind of building another one of their, their big classes, and obviously also Gary Harris coming in that year as a freshman. Um, Michigan was a little bit further outside, I think largely because they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament in 2012. They lost to VCU. But going into that season – you can certainly see it shaping up as a big season at the top. And then, and this is an Indiana centric podcast. So maybe I won't get in trouble for saying this. I recognize how it sounds, but I think in particular, it's a big 10 that you know is going to be really good. And you also, there's an added layer of hype around it because Indiana's number one overall in the preseason and, the question that the big 10 had been asking itself for 20 years, 15, 20 years was when would it get vintage Indiana back? This was vintage Indiana carrying the standard for what certainly feels like the the most difficult big 10 I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, especially in retrospect, I I still think that there's sort of remnants of that season that carry, but I mean, my God, like, and, and and just from our perspective, uh, I remember feeling like the hype never ended. You know, I mean, I remember we talk a lot about it where it's it felt like 20 the 2011 12 season never ended for Indiana, never ended and never never ended for us. Um, it, it sort of just felt like we were um on a constant stream when it came to news stuff, but also just feeling like, oh man, like the whole college basketball, you know, media world is gonna descend on this because everybody's been sort of waiting for this kind of Indiana team um for such a long time. And you knew that. You know, Sports Illustrated, it, you know, not at its peak, but basically a, a powerful Sports Illustrated was going to come to town. USA Today was going to come to town, ESPN was going to come to town, basically everybody was going to be there trying to, uh, you know, write big stories, because you had, and they were vintage, and it was Cody Zeller being this sort of poster child uh, for everything, having had a great freshman year and and going into sophomore year, as sort of the consensus, you know, preseason national player of the year didn't end up actually winning player of the year, but um, you know, it still had a terrific year and it felt like a mild disappointment because he wasn't that, Um, but he he was close, and so there was everybody was sort of um circled around that but yeah i mean you, you saw the other teams the other pieces but it was just like people had been waiting for this kind of indiana team for a long time and um you know just clearly descended upon that and, and had so much reason to you know just because they beat had beat the national champion kentucky team the previous year given them a terrific game uh in the sweet 16 that year in atlanta um just you know again just there was a lot of draw and there and there were great teams that lost players i mean ohio state ends up being really good in 2013 but had lost some spectacular talent um you know that season i think i think i can't remember if that was sullinger's year or not um yeah i think it was actually no i'm wrong about that um but, you know, lost William Buford, lost some really, you know, like Ohio State had been loaded a couple of years prior and but was still had enough pieces of that with Aaron Kraft and Deshaun Thomas coming back. Um, like there were there are all these good pieces around, but everybody was really just focused and centered on Indiana in that offseason.
0: I want to start with like we'll zero in on Indiana, but I want to start with the league. Um, it gets a boost when Trey Burke decides to come back. Uh, I think Tim Hardaway Jr. may have also t- t- tested the draft process that year. In hindsight, that Michigan team is ridiculously talented. Karis LeVert is on that team. Um, they've got two freshmen who are future lottery picks. At least I think Glenn Robinson the third was a lottery pick. Nick Stauskas was, um, who were both like involved, like between. I mean. Glenn Robinson had 292 shot attempts that season. Nick Stauskas had over 300, but in the, or maybe like maybe 298, if I'm doing my math right. Um, But from a usage perspective, they were very much role players kind of next to Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway, Mitch McGarry came on kind of into the previous season, into that season. And then, I mean, you, you look around, like there's some, there's some other fascinating like stories like, again, Gary Harris at Michigan State, Brandon Dawson at Michigan State, that, that Keith Appling at Michigan State, which obviously is, is a story kind of unto itself. Um, and just sort of where, you know, where things have gone for him after college and then even kind of looking at like Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Um, because Wisconsin, we, did not, we would not have realized that That was a Wisconsin team, That like every Bo Ryan team, they won 20 games. They finished in the top four or five at the conference. They went 12 and six. We did not have a sense, though, of the degree to which Wisconsin was the coming force in the Big Ten at that time. Like, Frank Kaminsky was a sophomore. And again, like, he took 98 shots that season. It wasn't like Frank Kaminsky was coming out of nowhere. Sam Decker was even more involved than that. Um, he played all 35 games as a freshman, I want to say he started like, uh, I don't know, like a a small handful of them. Um, But that Wisconsin team really, it had the building blocks that would wind up, I would argue, maybe producing a couple years later, maybe the best team the big 10 has seen in the last 10, 15 years. Again, you even go all the way down to like a team like Iowa, which did not even make the NCAA tournament that season. Um, A bit remarkable considering I think they were 31st in Ken Palm. when the season ended. They were nine and nine in the conference. They had a couple bad losing streaks and I think basically just didn't, I'm guessing looking at their schedule, didn't do enough in the non-conference. But they were a 21-win team that finished 500 in the Big Ten, and they wound up in the NIT that year. Um, but, I mean, that was an Iowa team with Roy Devin Marble, Aaron White, like Giselle, I assume probably Jordan Bohannon was in there somewhere um, because I think he was in college for two or three years by that point. (laughs) Like that was just, that was, we would have gone into that season saying this is a really talented league, but I don't think we appreciated until we got into the season and until you started seeing like, and I'm looking at this particularly through the Indiana lens, but like when. Minnesota came to Indiana on January 9th and Indiana led that game big and almost lost it. Um, You think about, you know, games against Michigan games against Michigan state that season, it just felt particularly in February and early March, like every game was a heavyweight fight. And and we would have known that, that that league was going to be so talented going into that year when you went roster by roster and you saw Burke and Zeller and Oladipo and, Harris and, you know, Payne and, and you know, whoever else, we can go on and on with these names, Bakwe whoever, but like the way the league shaped up, it was just every night, it felt like you were going to go all 12 rounds with whoever you were playing, as long as you were playing one of those, you know, five or six, or maybe, maybe even all the way down to like eight or nine, kind of in the conference standings.
1: I think it, when you think about some of the list of players, I and mean, I think what what that season also was, too, um, was like, th- this is sort of, in, you know, Kentucky had just climbed the mountain, you know, the, the previous year. And obviously you had this whole um, discussion of the one and done phenomenon and where this was going and how this was going to, to change. Um college basketball and whether it was going to lead to, you know, this this notion that they, there were going to be these superpowers that were just going to run through five NBA players every year and that they were just going to, you know, white you know, just, just crush everybody else. And that Big Ten season was in, in a sense that like, there was some level of uh, like provided some kind of like counterweight counterargument. Um refuted a lot of a combination. That. What's
0: that? he refuted a lot of that when you looked at not just the right. experienced players you had, but like Cody Zeller probably would have been a lottery pick. Trey right. Burke would have been a draft pick, like right. the guys that came back.
1: Mm-hmm. And it, the guys that came back and even the guys that were new, like the, the Big Ten was able to, to create a phenomenal overall league-wide um, freshman class based largely on players that, you know, came from that footprint um, more or less. I and, mean, you know, and, and almost everybody got a big one. I mean, obviously Indiana's class – Freshman class that year ends up being, you know, grossly overrated and, and, and we certainly, I personally had a lot to do with, you know, making guys out to be a lot better than they ended up being, you know, Hannah Perea especially. But everybody kind of got somebody, again, from that footprint, whether it was from, you know, your state or not, um, it was somebody, it was relatively local and it was this more it, it, it was sort of organic roster building in, in the sense that you think of it, of, of going, getting great players that are, that are within your footprint or within your region um, and turning that into, you know, a great all around roster and keeping guys for three or four years because they're not all, you know, one and done quality NBA talent, but, you know, are, are worth sticking around. I mean, obviously, I think Gary Harris was ended, ends up being a one and done, but you didn't necessarily know he was going to be that going in. You knew he was a big deal. I think he was two he was and top 25. Day. What's up? he was two and done oh did he do two years okay pretty I'm sure he did of. two years regardless Gary I mean Gary was obviously a big deal but it, and, and and Indiana wanted him bad basically you know it was it certainly was one of the best guys in that class ends up being I think you know Mr. Basketball beating Yogi out by a little bit um but it, it again you look across that board I mean, you think about how much the 2011 and 2012 classes in in the state of Indiana uh drive that and, and make a lot of teams better I mean Glenn Robinson's a you know was a Gary guy, Mitch McGarry up from Chesterton. Um that a lot of those pieces uh end up becoming a driving force, you know, for not just Indiana, but the whole league. I mean, Deshaun Thomas, obviously a Fort Wayne guy, ends up being, you know, a star that year, ends up being a you know, first team Ultimate 10 player, you know, and Zeller and Farrell, and obviously Jordan Halls, uh, you know, helped drive Indiana. But uh, there's a lot of these pieces all come together, but it's also this, you know, again, sort of counter-argument for you can still build it the you know, somewhat traditional way of, you know, again, recruiting within your geographic footprint, within, within your state and within slightly they're out and being able to keep guys around uh, and get them to play together and turn those into great teams and not feeling like you have to, not everybody has to follow the Kentucky model to win. Um, It at least was what was the Kentucky model at the time. Um, So I think that that's sort of fascinating where that, where the league as it was that year, you know, stands in, you know, sort of, sort of, provides a counter counter narrative a counterbalance to where where college basketball was going um and you did know coming in you know you looked at all these pieces that were these teams that were pretty good off of what they previously had and then how much they bolstered themselves again you mentioned sam decker and i think he's just he's a fascinating piece for me because i I think he takes he really takes wisconsin to a next level where where you would seen these sort of standard steady wisconsin teams that had you know a, a a big man, some guards that could shoot and guys that played defense and, and kept it to low possessions, you know, Decker gets you an athlete that we hadn't seen at Wisconsin yet. And I think he ends up being what makes that, you know, as good as Kaminsky was and as Kaminsky was the best player on that team uh, in 2015, I mean, Decker adds an element that, that Wisconsin had not had. Um, up until that point, there were there were other guys that were like Frank Kaminsky in the past, uh, basically that, that, that had might not have been as good as he ended up being, but were, you know, had similar skill sets. Sam Decker is sort of a unique player um, in Wisconsin history. And, and, and so there's pieces like that throughout the league, um, I think that um, are, are fascinating, just in terms of the way rosters were built.
0: It's also interesting to me, going back to the Ken Palm numbers again, um, Indiana. Indiana's conference strength of schedule, according to Kim Pomeroy, was ninth in the conference. They are one of only three teams in the last 15 years to win at least a share of the conference title with a single-digit strength of schedule. And the two teams right behind them, Ohio State and Michigan State, who tied for second, uh, were eighth and third. And normally at the top end of the conference, you'll see some some double-digit numbers next to some of those teams. Not all the time, but essentially the – you know the 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 like for example indiana in twenty sixteen had the thirteenth ranked conference strength of schedule per Kim Pomeroy and the team that finished second Michigan State it was 14th and the you know the conventional wisdom is basically if you don't play each other twice you can't play yourselves so you're there you're losing a little bit of you know what you need to boost your your strength of schedule but like it was so rugged that year and if you go back and look through some of the individual results like I think Indiana fans probably still think about that, that loss from time to time uh, against Illinois. Like, I mean, Ohio State, a team that was one win from, uh, uh, was a four point loss away from a final four for I think the second straight year. Ohio State lost by 19 at Illinois. I mean, that's an Illinois team that I I think finished eighth in the conference that year. And they still beat Gonzaga. They still beat Butler. Like when, I mean, this was, this was, you know, sort of, you know, post 10 and 11 afterglow Butler that was still competing at the top end of, you know, whatever conference it was in and all those. I mean, that, that, I mean, that Butler team went to the NCAA tournament out of the Atlantic 10, not even out of the horizon, but it beat. I mean, Illinois beat Gonzaga. It beat Butler. It beat Indiana. It beat Ohio state. It beat Minnesota twice. And again, that's a, that's a Minnesota team that goes to the NCAA tournament. That's, I mean, it's maybe Tubby Smith's best Minnesota team, Certainly felt like his toughest Minnesota team. I mean, if it was his best, I don't know. But he was one of only two that finished, uh, or one of only three that finished five hundred in the Big Ten. Actually, no, it didn't. Forgive me, it did not finish five hundred in the Big Ten. Minnesota went eight and ten and still made the NCAA tournament. I think won a game in the end. They did. They beat UCLA. I mean, it just like everywhere there were just again there were like just there were no easy games and to kind of bring this around to Indiana or a few easy games, there were a handful of easy games, like, you know, Nebraska wasn't very good and et cetera, but um, to kind of bring it around to Indiana, like I can remember conversations that I've had with IU, you know, people that were around the program that year who basically just said later that it wasn't all of what went wrong in thirteen, fourteen, the year following, but Part of what happened to Indiana in 1314 was the emotional hangover of, of 2013. And just how much of a grind. You said, like, it it felt like the hype never stopped. It never felt like there was an off season for that team. Like, it never felt like there was a time where that team could just go away and recharge its batteries from the night they lost to Kentucky in Atlanta all the way through to the night they lost to Syracuse in Washington. It was like the two seasons were just almost melted into one. And I think emotionally, you know, we've heard a lot about guys who were banged up and I think Jordan Hall's had a shoulder injury. Nobody knew about some other guys were nursing some things by March of 2013, but like people I've talked to around the program then said that like emotionally, mentally, they were just, everyone was exhausted. And I think that really it's not to, you know, people always want to know like what, what's to blame for Indiana losing to Syracuse and all that. I mean, I've always felt a little bit like Indiana just, There was an extent to which because that experience was so new for almost everyone on that roster up to and including its coach. And I'm not criticizing Tom Green at all. This was his first experience having a team that was, you know, top one, two, three in the country in the preseason, those kinds of expectations and how to manage them and how to deal with all that noise. I think everybody was just so tired by the end of the season. And I think it was in some way to their credit that they got at least one of those titles over the line.
1: Yeah, no, I think, um, that, not absolutely. I mean, I, I think they they had developed a sense. And I remember talking to, I, I remember we we talked to Tim Buckley about something, and I'm trying to remember what it was. I, and I remember being in, uh, They had us in the film room. And I, I, it might have been like postseason or whatever. I think he was annoyed at the, there was like a Wall Street Journal article that basically said Indiana had, underachieved more than any team simply for the fact that Cody Zeller and Vic Oladipo end up being um, lottery picks. But basically like they were the first team to have, you know, two top five picks or whatever, and not get past the sweet 16 or something along those lines. Um, and saying that this was this grand underachievement. And they, they really took issue with that because it was like, well, we, we won the Big Ten. We won one of the best leagues we've ever seen. Um, you know, yeah, we, we took a one and done loss in a single elimination tournament against Syracuse, and that's a disappointment. But calling this team a disappointment is deeply unfair considering, you know, what it achieved. Um, but it, 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 you know, it really was like that. that, that I mean, once it, once it hit Big Ten season, it was a grind all the time but it all, it already been a grind. It was just when they got to non-conference that they just had so much juice from the off season, um, you know, which is when the season started. I mean, you could just tell they were playing at a higher level than everybody else. Um, And, you know, they, in the night that I realized that they were, Really, really like you you knew from the hype but like w- when we realized i think we weren't faking was when like th- we weren't making stuff up and just you know saying well we're, we're not used to seeing good teams when they blitzed north carolina um at the big 10 acc and i st- like that's when you still remember cuz like they were it was like they were playing on fast forward when north carolina was on maybe on play you know and it was just they were at a different speed at a different level and you know that that just we, we hadn't seen that you know, we, we, we hadn't seen something like that from those guys as good as they were the previous year. They were just so far advanced. I mean, like, North Carolina did not have an answer, like, at all. You know, and, and it's and it's North Carolina, and I'm trying to remember who was on that team. Um, I don't, it wasn't it's, one of the most – I think the starting
0: memorable. lineup in that game, for North Carolina, the starting lineup in that game was James Michael McAdoo, Marcus Page, Dex, Dexter Strickland, Reggie Bullock, and Desmond Hubert, but Hubert only played seven minutes – they also brought Leslie McDonald, Bryce Johnson, Joel James, and JP Tokoto. Was it
1: Tokoto or Tokoto?
0: Yeah, um, I can't remember. For, right. for double-digit minutes. Um,
1: yeah, they had dudes Indiana, like, that, that. wasn't the best Carolina team you've seen, but they had dudes in North Carolina. Or, like Indiana just ran. DJ Harrison
0: didn't play. North Carolina's largest lead was by one point with nine and a half minutes left. And if you look at like the the win expectancy graph on Ken Pong, uh, it Indiana's win expectancy does not dip below like ninety
1: three percent
0: the entire second half. Jeez.
1: <laughs> no, it was absurd. I mean, it was it was totally wild just how fast that got out of hand. I mean, how much, how fast they could play, how good they were in transition, um, the extent to which they could just run over somebody. You know, was was wild. And and again, run over a team that traditionally and that season has a ton of athleticism has dudes Reggie Bullock is still in the league. You know, I mean, like they, they, they had just an absurd, like a lot of sort of physical athletic talent and Indiana ran away from them. And so you, you saw that, but it was just like, eventually the grind really hits in January. I think, I think a big part was, I mean, there was such a high bar for them to hit where even the rest of the teams in the league were used to being pretty good. And they didn't feel like this is the year where it absolutely must happen. Where it was like, okay, Michigan State could feel like, okay, we were good last year. We're going to be good next year. We're going to be the, be good the year after that. Ohio State still had some sense of that. I think Indiana goes into that year, you know, not thinking that they're never going to be good again, but thinking this is the year where it absolutely has to happen because you know you're losing Cody. You know, you you know he's going to be a top ten pick at worst. As the year goes on, you figure out Oladipo is going to go too. You know, I, I think at early part of the season you might not think that. You might think you got a chance at a senior year from Vic. But, you know, really early on, you think he's going to be a first-round pick and obviously went toward the end of the season when he starts playing, like, national. Yeah, I, I like. think
0: – I don't think they – I think they thought – because that – that they you know, I think they oversigned by three that year. And I think they did it partly because they knew by the end That's of the season Vic was going to be – I mean, he was already trending that way. He, he had a better sophomore year than I think people remember um, because that junior year is just – is everyone's overriding memory. Um but I think that staff knew where he was going, that he had kind of – he'd found an outside shot. He was going to be able to handle the ball more. He was going to have two point guards that could set him up. Um, I just – I mean, I, I think it was – I think it was less the guys they thought they would lose and more just that it felt like it needed to be a season that paid off everything Indiana had done. Like, Indiana had – torn it down to the studs in an effort to just like start over and just go, you know, just, just, just go from zero all the way back up. And it felt like it could not have culminated any more perfectly than it did. And it was, it was somewhat about knowing you were going to lose some of those guys. Hulls was going to graduate. Watford was going to graduate. Zeller Oladiba would leave. But it was also more about this idea that, like, this is the opportunity to justify all of that and to legitimize all of that. Everything that we ask the fan base to go through for four years, here in year five, it's all going to pay off.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, one – Connected to that, I think, is the way that the end of the Big Ten season gets handled, something that people aren't going to forget, Um, you know, especially cutting down nets after beating Ohio State or not beating after losing to Ohio State on senior night is still something I think that that IU fans are. I, I still don't know how to process. It was one of the wildest things to watch. It was probably one of the stranger nights we spent at Assembly Hall because when that game ended, we we, we didn't talk to Tom Crean until what? 1.30 in the morning? One forty
0: seven AM. a.m. was when he came
1: into the room. One forty seven a.m. It was one of the strangest evenings because, I mean, you have – they cut down nets. Jordy Halls and Christian Watford give speeches. Jordy Halls gives a phenomenal speech. But I remember talking to you – uh, I remember, and you might've even written this, or, or I, I remember having this conversation that you had the sense that it sort of reminded you of, of training for, um, little five and tapering and basically that they had already peaked and that there was no coming back from it.
0: There was anymore. one game and, and zoom is going to chop us off here in a minute. I mean, we got nine mm-hmm. minutes. I guess we should, we should ask somebody at some point if we can pay for zoom pro because they're suddenly getting a lot more difficult about this. Um, they had a game that year that they won. It was at home against Iowa. They won 73 to 60. But Jordan Hulls went 0 for 4, and Christian Watford went 0 for 2 from behind the three-point line. And I just remember thinking – Hulls was actually 0 for 7 from the floor that day overall. Mm-hmm. And Watford, now that I look at it, was 0 for 8. And I remember watching that and just thinking, like, these guys are missing shots that have been automatic for the last two years. Like, yeah. they were they – were, They were open shots, open threes, and they were in the spots that you knew these guys were, like, comfortable getting their shots. And I just remember thinking, like, because I think the the peak of that season is when they beat Michigan State uh, or when they beat Michigan. Then they lose to Illinois. But actually, because the, the league is so tough, then they go beat Ohio State and actually either stayed steady in the ranking despite losing. Or went up like one spot. Then they pummeled Nebraska. They pummeled Purdue, and they won at Michigan State on February nineteenth. And then, like they, then they lose to lose at Minnesota. And you can say, okay, well, Indiana loses at Minnesota a lot. That's a tough Minnesota team. I remember that Iowa game. It was March second. It was at home. I think it was a Saturday afternoon. Just looking at them and feeling like this this team does not look like it physically. Things are happening on the floor that weren't happening a month ago, two months ago. Like, have they, have they broken down a little bit somewhere? And then, obviously, with the Ohio State game, and I think that's an excellently coached game by Thad Mata, to be, to be fair to him. And Indiana had, had already clinched a share of the conference title coming into that game because Michigan beat Michigan State over the yeah. weekend.
1: Mm. That was the thing. It was over the weekend, so they technically clinch a share when they're not playing.
0: But it all sets up for.
1: Yeah. They could have won it outright on senior night and they don't, but they basically just said when we walk off the floor the last time, because we are Big Ten champs, we want to celebrate this because we wanted to to be understood that this is a championship team. And it felt uh, like that. And be remembered that way. I don't know
0: if Tom would have done that for the 2016 team. And they did cut down the nets, but they won their last game at home. They beat Maryland. I think he did that for that team because, again, he wanted it to – he wanted that to be the manifestation of everything. And, like, I understood his point. And I understood why IU fans were frustrated, and I have contended forever that if Indiana came back the next season and went to the Sweet 16, finished third in the Big Ten, won 25 games and went to the Sweet 16, Tom would not have had to wear a lot of what happened in March 2013 the way that he did later in his his IU tenure. But, like, I understood why Tom wanted that – I think as much for that team as anyone else.
1: Yeah. But it it is something that he winds up
0: having to wear. But it also sets up one of the most insane things I've ever seen in college basketball. I was not there. You covered this game in person. I did not. Um, I think we sent Alex McCarthy because he was from Michigan.
1: It was nuts. Indiana's largest
0: lead was 10 to 3. This is at Michigan on Sunday, March 10th, last game of the regular season. Their minimum win probability was 5.8%. They were down 71 to 66 with 52 seconds left. And then you have all the missed free throws. Michigan probably gets a little bit too lax about basically giving up free points to Indiana, like trying to get them back. And Mm -hmm. then, I mean, just that whole, like, if Jordan Morgan touched it, then it was probably going in and he touched it out. If he didn't touch it, if he had touched it it probably would have gone in like it was right. an insane ending to an, gotcha. to an insane season and it, it felt just, like
1: it just sat on the rim for like half like it felt like half a second
0: Zeller went for and 25 and 10 that day Depot was seven to 15 from the floor but he had 13 rebounds and three assists like it mm-hmm. was this maybe is over over dramatic but like it did feel like that team throwing everything it had into one last game.
1: It, and, and it is it looks more so that way in retrospect, uh, because I think they just knew that they had they they, they needed to win something that was going to stay. Um, and they yeah, they made it happen. So but like the, it was it was wildness. They were they were down. It looked like they were going to lose that game. They, they just gave every ounce they had left. And, and again, that ball is up on the rim and it falls sideways. And then and, and then it's mayhem. <laughs> after that and tom Crean is calling out jeff meyer and it's just like i didn't even know what was happening until we got to see video replay of it because we were obviously coming down from a distance we just saw like tom around him and we didn't know what was going on and then you see the pictures in the video and you're just like what was this (laughs) like but no it was absolutely that team leaving it all out there and feeling like okay if we're getting nothing else out of this year um if this is going to end before it's supposed to, then we are at least going to call ourselves champions in some way, and they can never take it away from us. And, and I just remember that feeling of pride. And I don't know if it was resignation or whatever, but just like, all right, we got this. At the very least, whatever happens after this, we got this. If we, if the wheels are going to come off, we can at least call ourselves champions of something major. would we'll say this is we we won one of the best leagues that 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 we've seen in years. At least we're going to be able to hang this. You know, at least we're going to be able to hang this and say. You know, this this team was a Big Ten championship team, even if it didn't ultimately do what it was expected to do when the season started. But, no, it was absolutely laying it all in the line. I'm trying to even remember just the sequence of what happens before uh, that layup goes down. But I remember Yogi might have got a finger on it or something like that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was wild how it just stayed up there. And you're like, well, if it goes one way, you know, this is going to just just rip Indiana's hearts out. And if it goes another way, Indiana wins. And it, it obviously they, they caught that break.
0: We'll leave the Syracuse game for another day because I suspect that might be the sort of thing we might discuss on another one of these podcasts, but we have about two minutes left. I'll ask you first. Um, you know, you mentioned a couple of them there, but, like, maybe not just specific to Indiana, though I imagine we'll probably both name Indiana games because we covered Indiana, and Indiana did win the league that year. Like, what is the one game that is your overriding memory of that season?
1: I mean, that one, that Indiana-Michigan game, just, uh, I mean, just... Uh, because so much was piled into it and and again like that's two really 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 good basketball teams just trading blows throughout and Indiana had crushed the, you know had beat them soundly um, in bloomington and, and one of those memories is, is didn't you know, didn't beat
0: them soundly in Bloomington because that was gonna be my mm. that was gonna be mine that that Michigan game was one versus three
1: yeah it was the game day was, game
0: Indiana won by eight but like it was it was tight for Indiana led big early. Mm-hmm. but it stayed close for a lot of that. That's true. Mm-hmm. A lot like, I mean, the second Indiana was ahead by four points at halftime and Indiana won, Indiana won both halves by four points. Yeah. And actually the middle two quarters of the game, Michigan won 38 to 27.
1: That I didn't realize
0: that was, and that was like, and I I picked it because I couldn't pick the one that I didn't cover that you did. Um, but like people talk about what's the loudest you've ever heard Assembly hall, the Watford shot, the Killingsworth dunk. I can't think of one specific moment, but I've never heard Assembly hall louder for a sustained 40 minutes than it was for that game. Cause Michigan was number one in the country coming into that game. And in the end was number three. And yeah. That, like you said, that's such a talented Michigan team. It winds up going on to play for a national championship. Yeah. It was nuts. I mean, it was just, it was a crazy season and, um, We could go on forever, but Zoom is about to kick us off. Mm -hmm. For Dustin Pirak, I'm Zach Osmer from the Bloomington Herald Times, the Indianapolis Star. This has been The Wayback Machine on Mind Your Banners. We will do this again very soon. Thank you so much for listening.